Welcome to the Get Fit AF with Angie Fraser podcast, a fitness channel with a difference. We aim to challenge traditional views on fitness and what it means to be fit AF. We cover real questions from real people, including my clients and friends, chat with inspiring and passionate people, and maybe the odd rant along the way. Join us to get fit AF without the bullshit. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I came across your work. I'm currently doing the pregnancy course with JPS Health and Fitness, uh, which I'm enjoying. I've really only just started it. And you are one of the uh, guest lecturers in the course. Yes. And yeah, I really loved your lecture on um, preconception and some of the psychological factors around that. So I reached out to you to ask you to be on the podcast and that's how you're here today. Can you explain um, or introduce yourself and explain a little bit more about your background, the work that you do and your special professional interests? Sure. So yeah, I'm a registered psychologist. Um, I'm also a mother of two kids now um so I have two under two which sounded like a good idea at the time um but yes very stressful so uh interesting to be talking about stress today (laughs) Um, yeah yeah so I I originally started uh my work um as a psychologist kind of as I was going through training in university I started um in the out-of-home care system. So I worked with a lot of kids that were in residential care. Um, I then kind of moved into case management type roles, working with lots of families um, that were kind of at that level before entering into the child protection system. Um, And then I kind of did some team leading within um, that space as well. So I led a bunch of case managers um, and did some training and things. I then moved into more of like a mental health specialist role within that same program. Um, And that's when I became a registered psychologist. So um, I certainly got a lot of experience in terms of seeing um, the impacts of trauma and, you know, prolonged and toxic stress um, in family systems and on children um, and parents and things. Uh, And then I moved into private practice for a few years. Um, So I was working for myself essentially but I was uh, renting a room from a, um, a private practice so I naturally started to specialize in children and young people and young adults um, there was a bit of a gap in that area so I kind of just naturally fell in there um, but my specialty is mainly around the impacts of trauma uh, and stress specifically developmental trauma which is Um, trauma that's experienced within those kind of early years of life Um, but my other kind of interest um, which is why I was so excited to be a part of the JPS um, course um, is the kind of the impact of nutrition and the gut um, and the links in terms of mental health Um, I kind of picture myself as a bit of a holistic psychologist um, that sometimes goes against the grain Um, so I like to see that um, you know, mind and body are not treated separately, um, but as a whole. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, a little bit about me and my uh, special interests. So, yeah. Yeah, I certainly, that's such a wide range of <laughs> of 
human psychology, isn't it? Um, yeah, so- I feel very privileged. Oh, that's that's unreal. And probably the gut health is a whole other topic in, um, in itself. Yeah. Um, and we did when we first caught up, I could I could probably think about five different topics I could discuss <laughs> with you in the context of fitness and working with people in this context. But um, I did ask you on today to explain um, the impacts of stress because obviously we're currently in lockdown. We've been in lockdown for, I think, four weeks now. The state or some parts of the state have been in lockdown for much longer. I'm seeing the effects of that not only on my clients but myself and um, I think that within the the content that I've done so far that you you delivered in the JPS course I found that you just explained the physical and psychological impacts of the stress response so well and it got me thinking oh my god I think we're all living in this fight or flight mode potentially and what effect is that going to have on us what effect is it going to have on our ability to do to stay um, active during lockdown um, to make healthy food choices to feel motivated Um, so this is uh, why I asked you on so could you uh, explain a little bit about the stress response um, for us please yeah sure Um, I think it's great because, you know, I I am certainly going to be coming from a little bit of a neurobiological background, but also I'll be coming from that psychological side of things. But I think it's great that we can combine, I guess, our areas of expertise um, so that we can start to talk about what the impacts are for a lot of your listeners um, in terms of um, their fitness regime and things like that. So just, I mean, we all know a fair bit about stress. Um, You know, I think no one uh, denies the level of stress, I think, that they're kind of going through at the moment. Um, But what I I guess I've found across the years of talking to a lot of different people is that we actually don't know a lot about why stress is bad for us. Like, why is it bad for our body? Why is it bad for our health? Why is it bad for our mental health? Um, And so often one of the first things I talk about with everyone that that I see is, I actually talk about what happens in the brain and the body when we go into what we call the stress response. Um, Because especially for a lot of people that uh, can be a bit frightened or have a bit of a fear reaction um, when they start to feel stress is it gives us a greater sense of control over that reaction. So I think um, I'll explain it in technical terms and then kind of simplify it down from there if I can. Um, So we essentially have, I guess, two different parts of our nervous system. Um, So we have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, And I guess you can think of the sympathetic nervous system of if we are a vehicle or like a car or a motorbike or something, um, that part of the nervous system is what accelerates us. So that's what gets us going. That's what sends us into that kind of stress response. And then if you think of the parasympathetic nervous system, as the application of those brakes. So that's what kind of slows us down. Now we know um, everything to do with the body is that the body's constant aim is for what we call homeostasis or that kind of balance. Um, But when we experience, I guess, prolonged or what we call like cumulative, like um, building up of stress in the body, the body finds it harder to find that balance. 
So what happens when the accelerator is applied, <laughs> so that's when we go into the stress response, um, is there's uh, a couple of different parts of the brain. I won't go into too much detail, um, but there's essentially a part of the brain that identifies danger. Um, so that's the amygdala, and it kind of looks in our environment and scans for danger and uh, sends a signal um, to a different part of our brain that activates um, a whole bunch of different hormones within the body that um, leads to the stress response. Um, you might also hear the stress response being called the fight and flight response. Um, so then what happens is um, everything within the body is ramped up. So our heart rate starts to increase, our breathing rate increases. Um, some people might report that they start to feel really sweaty, our pupils dilate. Um, a, a lot kind of happens in the, uh, our digestive tract too, which is always very interesting when I talk to people about that, is any kind of um, system within the body that's not really needed to either fight or to run away um, is essentially slowed down or doesn't work. So there are certainly different areas of the brain that don't work. Um, so the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of our brain, um, which is kind of responsible for all that smart stuff. That's what I like to call it, um, like logic, um, ah. reasoning, problem solving, all that stuff that kind of is the last to develop in us. Um, the communication between the lower parts of the brain, which is the emotional part, and that part, um, that it's completely cut. Um, so if you think of it like an old school landline telephone, <laughs> for those, yes. remember those um, <laughs> it's essentially like that cord is being cut. Um, so that's why sometimes, you know, if we are really stressed um, or, and this is works as well with um, anxiety and panic, um, that logic is often not used. We really struggle to problem solve. We just get so, I guess, overwhelmed by the emotions and there's not that communication there. Um, oh, so, I, yeah. I can recall an instance of that myself in the, the original lockdown, 2020. Mm. Uh, and you just sort of step back afterwards when everything's calmed down and go, oh, my God, why did I react about that? Yep. Yeah, definitely. And if you think about, you know, if we're talking about um, prolonged stress. So for those people, especially those um, listeners in like Sydney and stuff that have certainly been in lockdown for a long time or even, you know, people in Victoria and Melbourne, um, mm. you think about that kind of cumulative stress and if you're never going back down to baseline I always think of those like small little incidences like um say you open the fridge and something falls out the fridge and you just fly off the charts you know you have a go at your at your husband saying you know why'd you do that you know kind of thing and the emotions mm -hmm. take over and your brain thinks that that's such a huge problem and it was just you know that that emotion was warranted but it's not till you step away and then the logical part of the brain starts to come back online that you think oh wow that kind of didn't warrant that big reaction that I had and um, that this uh, it occurs to me that it's almost being in um that stress state mm. is it's as if it's designed for us to be there short term to get away yeah okay a little bit like high intensity interval training so you it's designed for you to uh, perform yes. maximum power output only for that short amount of time you yeah you can't sustain it yeah, and then, look, that's 100% right, and I guess that kind of takes me back to the, you know, the origins of the stress response. So why do we actually have this capacity? And, you know, it's one of the reasons why as human beings we have, you know, thrived, um, whilst, you know, a lot of um, animals also have this same kind of primitive 
um, response. Um, it's not to the same kind of way that we have evolved. So, you know, our brain has been, we've had the similar structures, you know, um, for hundreds of years. And if you think about, you know, hundreds of years ago, um, we would be faced with danger quite regularly, right? And literally danger. So, you know, we'd have to go and hunt for food. Um, you know, you would often have to fight for food, those sorts of things. Um, but if you fast forward, I guess, to today, we don't have those same kind of life or death situations as regularly. I mean, there's still things that create, you know, a sense of fear, um, but not to that same extent. But the brain these days is still interpreting stress, especially prolonged stress, as a danger to us. And then that's why we have that potential as well to go into that fight and flight response. Um, and it's certainly for those um, that have experienced panic attacks, which, you know, are extremely unpleasant, um, those that don't have anxiety with it have no idea what's actually happening within their body because what's happening with the, within the brain is all of a sudden it's identified a danger when there is nothing around you that is going to cause you any harm. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting when we look at over time how the nature of our stress has changed, but we still have that um, capacity to go into that response. Yeah, so the, the information, I think, is a big contributing factor just from speaking to um, my clients and friends. Um, I personally have not been watching the news. Every time there's an announcement, I just wait for other people to tell me because they do. And I'm not watching the 11am every day. That was something that one of my clients identified as a massive stressor for her. Yep. And it's almost like you're constantly just waiting for the next thing. And I guess for some people, I, I'm assuming that it's individual, the stress response perhaps based on yep. childhood. Yeah, there's a whole lot of environmental um, and yeah. individual things that influence, I guess, whether someone goes into that response. Yeah, I consider myself a pretty high stress person. Yeah, I, it depends on that tolerance. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I feel like I've got a bit of tolerance for it. But today you'll know that I almost forgot completely that we were <laughs> catching up, even though it was in my calendar, it was in my Zoom, we'd spoken at length about it, I'd set it all up. And I'm, I'm finding that I'm starting to forget things yeah. as we go further into lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll, I guess what we know as well about the stress response, um, you know, and we're not necessarily when I say the stress response going into that fight and flight all the time, but as we start that stress starts to build, we get closer to it. And there's still the release of all those chemicals like cortisol and stuff that do have an impact on how the brain is working. So we know that memory um, is actually impacted um, over, you know, whether it's acute stress, like uh, a sudden kind of short period of stress but intense stress or whether it's over time um, the different areas of the brain that are responsible for memory um, don't often um, function as well so this is particularly um, common especially with those that experience like acute stress um, during like a traumatic event um, that you know the the brain's capacity to kind of bring in all that information create a story or a narrative around it with like beginning, middle, end and all that like context such as place um, is often not then incorporated very well into a, a really nicely formed memory. Um, what tends to happen is the memory is a bit kind of fragmented 
um, where there's kind of bits and pieces that people can remember or there are situations where there is absolutely no memory at all and a person can't actually recall um, exactly what's happened. But what we do know is during those high periods of stress, um, the senses are often heightened and the brain is that is focusing on that sensory information coming in because if we're trying to make decisions on what's going to be best for us in terms of our safety, like fight and flight, we need to be taking in all that information. So that's why sometimes, um, and I've only kind of learned this about myself, maybe in the, I don't know, the last four or five years, I often wondered why if I was particularly stressed, if I went to a busy place, it would often cause me to be very, very stressed. I'd have like quite a big reaction to it. And, you know, stress and anxiety for me can often look like anger. And I would kind of, um, you know, if I was with my mum or something, I would snap at my mum or I'd snap at my partner. Um, yes. It wasn't until I realised that for me, those senses are really heightened and that busyness of it all means that I'm really overwhelmed um, and then I need to step away from that. Ah, and so mentioning, going back to the cumulative effect of the, the stress yeah. and that whole idea that it's, well, this is my interpretation of it, that it's like designed to be short term. Yes. And then, so we're not actually getting a rest from no. the stress and just like training, your rest is structured into your training to mm-hmm. allow you to recover and return Uh, to normal or make the training adaptations so the response so we're not actually getting that time to process things potentially um, and rest and recover yeah well you essentially go into you know what we call the like the survival mode you're essentially just in survival mode every day and that kind of links into what you were saying about you know checking um, those updates at 11 o'clock every day like even just the anticipation and the lead up to 11 o'clock I would you know, kind of guess that a person's what we call their arousal level or their arousal state or, you know, stress levels is likely to start to peak in anticipation of that, you know, whereas like you were saying, if you um, just rely on other people to tell you if there's any kind of information you need to know, you're actually removing, you know, a few hours of potential high level of stress that's completely unnecessary. Um, But, you know, certainly Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm pretty good at creating my own stress without yeah. like the news and, adding to it. So yeah. and that's like that's super important, you know. Um if I like if I say to you, um, you know, think about uh your Christmas plans, who are you gonna spend Christmas with? Um, you know, is it gonna be a sunny day, picture that you're gonna be by the beach, like that kind of stuff. What kind of emotions do you feel when I say that? Well, if I was picturing being by the beach, then I would probably be a little more relaxed. But it's funny that you mentioned Christmas because I pretty much cancelled Christmas last year. Yeah. And I was not popular. I couldn't deal with it and I couldn't work out why. I just couldn't deal with it. And, I mean, I didn't cancel it. We had, you know, Christmas with our immediate family here mostly and we did still get in touch but I couldn't do the whole like the big meal the um organization of it the planning the preparing and I can't I just said no I can't can't do it that's actually a great decision that's you know that's a a really good example of I guess a strategy that we can talk about around how to manage stress um 
but let's let's maybe just use the beach then as an example yes Christmas (laughs) Um, point because I'm sure Christmas for a lot of people is very stressful um yeah so you feel quite relaxed if you think about the beach now if I uh said to you um you know what's going to happen at 11 o'clock are we how bad are the numbers going to be how many people have died um you know this Mm. is the way that um this is just the way it is right now I'm not going to see my family you know what kind of emotions come up for you now yeah, just like um, uncertainty. I, w- I was going to say stress because that's the general word that we use, yeah. isn't it? But it's like it was definitely fear when you start visualizing yeah. um, what you were saying. Um, yeah. It's definitely fear. Yeah. And that kind of highlights, you know, it's a bit of a basic kind of a super common um, psychological approach around cognitive behavioral therapy, like that link between our thoughts and our feelings. Um, and if, you know, we start to alter the thoughts and we can alter our feelings. Um, but it kind of, I was thinking about this the other day when I was talking, uh, thinking about what I'd like to talk about, um, today and, you know, it's something that I have tried, um, is when, when we're living in this kind of life of lockdown and especially those, you know, that have been in extended lockdowns, um, the brain and, and our body, you know, in turn starts to believe that this is our new reality. Um, and we start to lose that capacity to look into the future. And that's when, you know, feelings of hopelessness um, will start to come up and that's going to increase a person's risk of depression and um, other mental illnesses. Um, Whereas if we can focus on this and reminding our brain that this is a short-term state, like this is a short-term situation and that, you know, in six months' time, life will be different. But when you're living in that state of stress, the brain doesn't always have the capacity to really look into the future and to acknowledge that actually no this is not my reality I guess what makes it what makes us resilient resilient sorry is the capacity to actually accept that this is a situation yes it's temporary and then to be able to problem solve and go well how can I maximize this opportunity you know what am I do to cope to get through this so I've been talking to my clients um about okay, this is not ideal. We can't use our space that we all love and we go to because um, it's our time out. It gets us, it removes us from the work environment and the family environment to a degree. Not that, you know, everyone doesn't want to be with their family 24-7, as we now know. Um, (laughs) Not that they dislike their families. It's just, it's that third place away from work, home for a lot of my clients. And it's been a bit um you know heart-wrenching and even for myself but to have it removed and the choice to go there is now gone so now you're just left with the other two places essentially um and I've been trying to practice this myself and um speaking with clients about the opportunities the opportunities there are to a train more at home than if you were just limited by the times available at my venue, um, you know, and relying on being in person, um, the opportunities for more discussions and about training the opportunity to focus on different areas of your fitness goals. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to do more reading for me has been, really helpful for example that I wouldn't have had time to do otherwise so I'm not I'm not big on positivity for positivity's sake yeah yeah but yeah I do like to to look at those things and 
going back to speaking about the stress that people may be experiencing at the moment, um, the impacts of that I see on people's fitness goals or health goals or um, the usual way of doing things is that they find it difficult to switch gears. Yeah. That choice has been taken away from them. Um, so I see myself as the facilitator for that process. So they don't need to think about it too much. But one thing that I noticed with my nutrition online nutrition coaching clients was they were going so well with um with the course and what we do right up until lockdown and then the engagement with that just dropped and it was it's been like crickets and I get that and so I took the approach that I'm just going to step back. I'm going to extend that course out and I'm not going to put pressure on people um, Mm. to keep adhering to, you know, their particular habits or targets that they were doing as part of that. Um, Because I think that sometimes fitness and nutrition goals can create more stress. Yes. Yes. Well, it's a bit of a, I guess it's a, it's, it's a cycle, you know, and again, it's going to depend on the individual, but um, you know, if you kind of set yourself goals and then there's all of a sudden this kind of extra level of accountability or or pressure there, um, if someone then feels kind of shame or guilt for not achieving that goal, then that's when you'll start to see avoidance. Um, So that's when they'll start to disengage. Um, That's kind of when they might go, go off track in terms of their goals um you know because shame and guilt are really like horrible emotions um they're really especially shame in particular is very distressing for us to deal with um so we'll try and avoid that as best we can um yes and that that often does look like disengagement um you know yeah and i I, agree you don't want to put too much pressure um you know i guess you can cut you you can just be there and, and and be that consistent predictable person that if they do want to come back and if they do want to share kind of what are some of their limitations or why they've had some you know difficult challenges trying to you know continue with um the course then you know you're there for them yeah I've definitely made an effort not to be the shouting no excuses come on determination that kind of thing I I've learned over the years of coaching people it's not actually helpful and you do tend to get that avoidance yeah um So, yeah, but more than likely people are going to be coming out of lockdown with, um, you know, an urgency to address some of the health issues that may have come up, Um, you know, lack of fitness, lack of a bit of weight gain, um, feeling a bit blah. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I feel concerned about what that's going to look like mentally and physically coming out of lockdown for our community, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Um, going back to the adherence, I, I think um, through my observations that you're absolutely right, you know, shame, guilt does not promote adherence. And I think that people living with external stresses, whether it's work or family, um, tend to find it difficult to adhere to training and nutrition as well even if they say I think some of that shame is not around um feeling guilty towards me necessarily but maybe themselves because they've set themselves a goal and then not being able to achieve it yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know, certainly the next few weeks to, to few months. Um, but you look, you've highlighted, you know, and I love that you, you use the word community because if we look at some of the protective factors when it comes to stress and how to kind of um, reduce the overall impacts of that, especially cumulative stress, a sense of community and attachment and connection with others is often the biggest, um, the biggest protective factor that we have. Mm, yeah, and I think a lot of my clients being um, similar personality types, similar um, like their professionals, they're um, not necessarily gym bunnies or people who are interested in being competitive or anything like that. They just like to work out for their health and to, to feel and look good. And, you know, they all kind of have similar values. So you quite often hear the conversations that even though they're very brief because we're all generally pretty busy people come in do their workout off they go yeah. but yeah the conversation there's a lot of um what's the word uh like similarities in their lives and relatable um things happening in each other's lives so yeah, yeah. it's really nice yeah we try to facilitate that online but you just don't really it's it's not really the same online yeah and that that's the hard the hardest part when we look at you know the impacts of lockdown is if we know that, you know, connections to others um, is one of the biggest protective factors and all of a sudden we take that away or, you know, there are some people that are able to replace that with kind of online platforms by like video calling with family members, um, those sorts of things. Um, there are certainly a proportion of people that find that actually even more stressful and even more yes. anxiety provoking um, and, you know, they, they're the ones that tend to, you know, really struggle the most um, with these lockdown periods. You know, we know that loneliness and, and, you know, I mentioned the word before, hopelessness and those kind of feelings, if you've got a mixture of those happening at once, you know, that um, is certainly going to increase someone's risk of depression. Yeah, that's certainly something to look out for within ourselves and each other, I suppose. Yeah. I did mention to a a few friends recently that um, to a degree I kind of felt a little bit numb to things that were happening recently and I wasn't sure if that was healthy or not mm. so I, I think that I'm okay but that's um that's interesting that you mentioned that so something to look out for in friends and family yeah, and ourselves definitely. as well yeah yeah um, so what what strategies do you recommend for trying to bring ourselves back into that? Is it called rest and digest state? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Our, our optimal um, arousal, but yes, it's commonly known as the rest and digest. Um, yeah, it's there's lots of different things that we can do. So um, if we are in that kind of, um, we've got the accelerator on on um, sorry, our foot on the accelerator um, for long periods of time we want to firstly start off by reducing um, the impacts of that by applying the brakes so we want to slow things down um, and if we know that all of the impacts of um, the sympathetic nervous system and going into that fight and flight and that stress response um, have a big physiological change in our body to me it then makes sense that well in order to bring ourselves back down to that kind of optimal level of arousal or that rest and digest state is also found within the body so 
like I said, around, you know, that lack of communication between the emotional part of the brain and, you know, the more logical problem solving kind of part of the brain. We don't want to be using a lot of those thought based um, strategies to start off with if you're at that kind of more peak of that stress response. We actually want to be doing things within our body. So, there are certainly a lot of um, exercises around, like especially yoga is often the first one that I think of because it incorporates um, a lot of different kind of positive approaches to dealing with stress. Um, obviously, there's a lot of um, healthy kind of breathing strategies that yoga uses. It's quite slow. It's low impact on the body. Um, it also kind of promotes um, a lot of like positivity in terms of like your body and life. Um, there's been a lot of studies done over in America looking at those that have um, experienced um, like trauma, so PTSD or kind of childhood-based traumas, and they have actually found that over time yoga was a much um, more effective treatment um, option than medication and other forms of therapy. So yoga is very, very powerful. Um, so that's that's something that you can do. Um, we're very lucky this this day and age with YouTube that there's often a lot of kind of free resources um, and free yoga classes and things like that out there. Um, yeah, we've got a fantastic uh, yoga teacher that we like to bring in um, as often as we can, Anna from Padaba Yoga, and she's got some mindfulness right. sessions that she recorded for us on the podcast. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. That, that, I guess mindfulness again kind of goes hand in hand as well, um, but finding a type of mindfulness and um, meditation as well as another one that works for you so I'm often very honest with my clients I will say you know if there if I suggest a strategy like let's try some meditation and you're kind of like no nah, that's not going to work yeah. for me tell me it's not going to work and it's going to be shit please tell me um because you actually have to find something that's going to work for you so for me personally you know I've tried meditation multiple times over the years and I personally struggled with it a lot my mind is very busy um and I found that I could only kind of really achieve very small moments of of being in like a meditative state so um I only would do very short bursts of meditation um and mindfulness so you know there was a kind of a big craze of the uh, mindful coloring in yes uh, but in order for that to actually be a mindful practice and a mindful activity, you actually need to engage in mindfulness. So it's not just sitting and colouring. It's certainly an activity that you can use to practice those skills um, because essentially what we want to do is observe our own kind of thoughts and feelings within our body, observe what we are doing. We want to describe it and then we want to actively participate in that um, activity. So it's a similar thing to walking. Um, you know, I find that that works for me. Some people love listening to music and that's fine. Um, but I really encourage my clients that if you're going to, going to go for a walk, you want to get back into your senses. So if we know that our senses kind of are the key to calming us back down because they are essentially heightened in that kind of stress response, listening to more calming things. So, for example, I've been going for walks around the lake where I live um, and listening to the birds, um, watching the calmness of the water or the stillness of the water, you know, um, looking at the different colours within the leaves of the trees, those sorts of things. And these aren't things that, you know, need to take a huge amount of time. It could be literally a five-minute walk. Um, but you're essentially giving your brain that break um, and encouraging your brain to come back into base, that baseline or that kind of rest and digest state. Um, 
yes. it's amazing that it always comes back to our body and it comes oh. back to nature as well yeah and that's kind of sense of feeling of connectedness I did some training with um uh Marsha Linehan so she's a she um is a founder of a therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy and um she talks a lot about the spiritual component of um our lives and she actually uses that in her therapy um and it kind of resonated a lot with me because I I can kind of think back to a pretty kind of tough period in my life um and I was in the Blue Mountains at the time and I went for, um, uh, I, I was actually kind of really fit and I was very focused on my health and fitness. Um, and I actually went for a bushwalk and I ran up this um, like pretty steep hill to the lookout. And I'd never been an overly fit person prior to that. Um, and all of a sudden I got to the top and I had this big kind of what we would call like a cathartic release where I just was overwhelmed by all these emotions. I had this release of stress and tension from my body and I actually started crying. And I remember thinking, what is happening right now? Why am I crying? Um, and I, all of a sudden, like my, my stress had just left my body and I felt really connected to something greater than myself. So I felt very connected to, to nature essentially. And I also obviously felt very proud of myself for being able to run up, um, you know, that kind of steep incline. Um, but that's something I often talk about with my clients too, is that, you know, that kind of connectedness to nature is something that, you know, especially if you're living in the city can be something that we forget about. Yeah, I think um, working out can have that effect on people too, because I know that before I became a PT, I didn't know that I would be having so many people cry in their sessions and not not because of what I'm doing to them, but it's it must almost be that release as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I still we- find it when I go for a run. <laughs> not that I've been for running quite some time. My pelvic floor is not ready after having two kids. Ah, but- <laughs> I have a podcast for that as well. I will definitely listen to that one (laughs) but um yeah it it is it's some it's just that you know um a lot of the stress and tension leaving the body and that kind of reminds me of another strategy that I often um encourage my clients to use which is progressive muscle relaxation and again it's a very kind of simple um easy strategy to use there are lots of different scripts that you can like google um but put pretty simply you is that where you think about you think about a part of your body and then you release yeah so you you um you tense the muscle so you think of it yeah about a part of the body so yeah. we would normally encourage that you start at the toes so you would like squeeze your toes together um you're practicing kind of your mindful breathing as well at the same time you hold on to that for let's say two to three seconds and then you re- you release and then you would go up all the different parts of your body. Um, can I just say, I yeah. can hear my yoga teacher's voice now <laughs> saying, release and let go. <laughs> right hand. That's that how sounds, indoctrinated I am. <laughs> well, that sounds very relaxing, I must admit. Um, it sounds much more relaxing than my voice. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say to my clients when they come to a Pilates session with me. Okay, now this is not like Anna's yoga. Um, I'm not relaxing. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I mean, you can, um, I, I, I actually remember trying this for the first time when I learned it, when I was training to be a psychologist. And I remember sitting there at the time, I was quite young, I was probably only, I don't know, 20, 
22, maybe 23. Um, I was sitting there and um, I thought, oh, this is stupid. Like, this is not going to work. Um, like, what is this? Um, and then we did it. And I didn't notice as much um, of that kind of tension release, releasing from my body until I got to my face. And I realized that I hold, I reckon, 90% of my stress and tension in my eyebrows and <laughs> my forehead. So what actually happens, so when you get to your face, you kind of like scrunch your face up really, really tight and then you hold it and then you release um, and you're meant to feel the tension kind of leave from your, um, from your body and your face. And I remember the first time I was just so overwhelmed by that experience that I was just, I was almost in shock. I thought that's incredible. Like I did not even realize where I was holding my tension. Anyway, fast forward to maybe like, I don't know, six months to a year later, um, I was at a family gathering and my dad had said to me, oh, your frown line's gone. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't even realize I had one of those permanently, but um, <laughs> it turned out because I, I was suddenly aware of where my stress was coming from that now I routinely do it. And I even massage my eyebrows um, and just above them uh, in those months. I'm doing that as we speak. So <laughs> my just crying. Um, yeah. And um, by practicing that, I actually, yeah, must have got rid of my permanent frown line. Oh, that's the big claim there. We could mm-hmm. probably, we could yeah. probably put that out there on social media and <laughs> something. But yeah. um, that's interesting because it sounds like it's a lot like um, gaining control mm. over your body that you may not have realized that you yeah. had. I've had a similar moment in that when you mentioned uh, panic attacks before. I think that I might have had a small one at the start of this year Mm. where I was at work. I was by myself. Um, I was between clients and I didn't feel particularly stressed. I've always always got full days. I can fill my days if they're not full. I find things to to do, things that I want to do. Um, but I was between clients and I suddenly couldn't draw a deep enough breath. Mm. It was very shallow and that made me panic even more because I was like, what is this? I tried to remain calm for a little bit and just like, okay, now let's try that breath again. No, this isn't working. What the hell is going on? And uh, for some reason I just thought, okay, the only thing that you have available to you right now is you can try that box breathing. Yeah where you have the pause, so you take the inhale, then you hold your breath, long exhale, hold at the end of the exhale, and you just repeat that. And within, you know, I don't know the degree to which other people experience panic attacks or how severe that one may have been or not been, but the point is it took me less than a minute to be able to breathe normally again, and it was that sense of, I just saved myself. Yes. Mm. Using, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a really good example um, because you, I guess you've highlighted what tends to happen for a lot of people, um, you know, certainly lots of adults um, that experience their first panic attack. A lot of them end up actually presenting to emergency departments because they feel like they're having a heart attack. Um, yeah. And that kind of sense of, oh, my gosh, I can't breathe. And as soon as you have that thought come to the forefront of your mind, I can't breathe, most people are going to panic, right? You're you're going to go into that state, Um, you know, but you had that awareness to to actually go, well, 
all right, the only thing I can do right now is my, the box breathing. And you know, that was a great strategy to use because instead of um, that thought of, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And then trying to just continually draw in more air instead of breathing out and exhaling, um, you know, you, you were able to apply the brakes when the accelerator was trying to go on. It's probably quite bad that the only reason I think that I did that and didn't present to emergency was because I was like, I've got a client in 10 minutes. Gee, (laughs) I can't, you know, I can't miss this session. I've got to get it together. So Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. I mean, but we just think if you didn't have that skill, if you didn't know to use use your breath even though you felt like you needed to to panic even more and that you were able to use you know a breathing technique that is designed to actually calm us down it might may not have ended up so well no and it was just a bit random but I like to share that story because I like to let people know that hey um I you know I'm human too if Mm. if you've experienced this don't be ashamed let's talk about it a bit more and I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been an amazing chat and I'd love to do more with you, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so what, what work are you doing at the moment and how can people um, find out more about what you do or get in touch with you if they need some help? Sure. So um, I'm obviously on maternity leave at the moment. Um, so I've got a almost three-month-old baby. Um, Uh, But in saying that, I am doing some stuff behind the scenes. So um, I do have some kind of part-time employment that I'm obviously taking a break from. Um, But TIA Psychological Services and Training is my business. Um, I'm a bit slow to get on the whole social media side of things. So I do have an Instagram page that um, everyone can find me at. um, And I'm hoping to start growing that. Um, and in, I guess investing some time into that soon in and in a more functional website from there. Yeah. Um, I'm happy for you to um, distribute my uh, email um, if people would like to get in touch. I'm not taking on any current kind of telehealth clients at the moment, but um, in future that might be an option, but certainly not until next year just so I can focus on uh, my own stress and dealing with two kids. Yeah. Um, yes, I, yeah, I can certainly help uh, direct people in the right direction in terms of other resources if they want more information on the stress response, um, awesome. more information on some of the strategies, and, yeah, I'm more than happy to help out. Excellent. So I'll just pop some links in the show notes. And um, thank you very much for that. That was really helpful. No worries. I'm glad it was helpful.